If you brought your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy. We want to look at 1 Timothy, verses 3 through 11. Verses 3 through 11, I want to share with you a sermon I've entitled, Guard the Gospel. Guard the Gospel, as we have our yearly theme of Mountain View Baptist Church committed to returning to the Word. We want to think about guarding the gospel this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, uh, 3 and following. Paul said to Timothy, verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Some translations use the word command. He says that I want you to command some that they teach no other doctrines. What we're talking about doctrines, speaking about doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and to endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some have enswerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whether they are firm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers, fathers and murderers, mothers, uh, for manslayers. Uh, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for pre, uh, or perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to the sound doctrine, according to the gracious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. A couple of weeks ago, I announced that I'd be attempting to preach a series of sermons from the book of First Timothy. October the 29th, I preached the first sermon, just chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, as we looked at a, uh, a sermon entitled The Glorious Greeting, uh, just kind of an introduction to, to Timothy. November the 5th, last week, uh, I was planning to preach um, uh, from verses 3 through 11, but God changed my direction. He led me in a different direction in a sermon that that I just simply entitled, I believe it was making it through tough times or how to get through tough times. And if you remember last week, we observed the World Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Kyle Taylor came and shared with us the urgency for us to pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. And then we even saw a, a short DVD of a person, a pastor by the name of Richard Warmbrand, a pastor, former pastor uh, in Romania who was held captivity in captivity for several years. His wife was held also for a number of months or years. And then we were also reminded of the faith of the men in those orange suits that stood on the shores of the Mediterranean uh, there that uh, were beheaded for, for no other reason except they were Christians. However, during the time from 11.30 to 11.45 when we were seeing that, viewing that, hearing all of that, um, right minutes prior to my preaching, how to get through troubled times or make it through uh, difficult times, a man that was full of evil, 
an evil man, a man full of the devil, a very evil person began to unmercifully attempt to, to uh, slaughter a group of believers at First Baptist Church, Sutherland, Texas. That happened all during the time that we were really devoted our attention to the persecuted church. Little did we know at that time what was all happening. And I'm afraid that if the Lord doesn't tarry his coming, that uh, it's going to get a lot worse for those who are true professors of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to experience some difficult times, and so that message was well needed last week. But this morning, God has uh, kindly allowed me to return to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And this message today is simply entitled, We Must Guard the Gospel. Please remember that 1 Timothy was written to a young man by the name of uh, Timothy, written by Paul, addressed to a young man by the name of Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young preacher. He had a struggling church. He had a very difficult situation. And Paul begins to warn Timothy how the gospel forms, number one, who we are as believers. The gospel forms who we are. The gospel forms in what we believe. And the gospel forms in what we do as a church. Gospel is very important. The the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It forms who we are. It forms what we believe. It forms what we do, such as this boxes. what we do as a church, as a faith family. But the question is, what is the church supposed to look like? So what Paul is sharing with Timothy is to give us kind of an example of what the church should look like today. What should be our utmost concern as a body of believers? What should be our number one consideration? What should be our utmost concern? You know, a football team, their utmost concern, their number one concern is winning a game at all costs. Uh, a pilot, their number one concern for he or she flying the airplane is to, is to make the flight there, to make the flight back. So what should be our our first consideration in becoming a New Testament church. What does God want us to consider first as utmost importance as a New Testament church? So Paul told Timothy here at Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and he tells us today that our first consideration, our first duty, our first responsibility at all costs is to hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must guard the gospel. Now he's going to go in detail uh, and make some other points, but the point is if we lose the gospel, then we lose everything. If we lose the gospel, we lose who we are. If we lose the gospel, we lose what we believe. If we lose the gospel, we lose what we're to do as believers. Just think of the challenges that this young preacher, Timothy, had there at Ephesus. Think of all of his challenges around that church. Think of, the, think of the paganism around that church. Think of the immorality. Think of the idolatry. Think of the, the culture pressure. We're experiencing, all, we're experiencing perhaps all of this to somewhat more severe degree in this present age. 
We're experiencing paganism. We're experiencing immorality. We're experiencing idolatry. We're experiencing cultural pressure that's trying to change our culture from this Judeo-Christian culture to something where, well, who knows what you would call it. Paul tells us, young Timothy tells us, with, with all that's going on around you, Timothy, whatever you do, make sure you guard the gospel. With all the things going around, he didn't talk about leadership. He didn't talk about missions. All of that's important, but it's not important if you lose the gospel. See, it's all about the gospel. So you have to keep people focused on the gospel. So he tells us, young Timothy tells us, with all that's going on, you have to guard the gospel. You have to keep people from teaching a false doctrine. Now, Timothy, address anything that you feel like would pull people away from the gospel. Whatever you think would pull them away from the gospel, you need to address. So first of all, you have the consideration. Guard against false doctrine. Well, with that in mind, what is doctrine? Well, we're speaking about biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine refers to the teachings of the church. Biblical doctrine. It's what we believe about God. Doctrine is what you believe, but we're talking about biblical doctrine. We're talking about the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the church, doctrine of heaven, doctrine of hell, doctrine of the virgin birth, the doctrine of uh, the rapture. Some people say, well, that word's not in the Bible. Well, the word's not in there, perhaps, but the process is, and we're going to be called away one day, whatever you want to call that. Bible refers to it as caught up. Theologians refer to it as the rapture. If you're without Christ, you're going to miss that trip. But that's doctrine. Biblical church doctrine is the teaching of the church of what has been taught from the very beginning. This shouldn't be new to us. The doctrine should not be new. It's been taught from the very beginning. Following Pentecost, you remember the scripture says this, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine, what did the church do? They continued in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in prayer, in the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. No other doctrine. None. So a church, a body of believers, a faith family, is really not a true body of Christ if the doctrine is not the apostles' doctrine. I picked this up at Baptist Bookstore. I'm going to have to read fast. You're going to have to listen fast. Listen to this. Now remember what doctrine is. It's from the beginning. It's the apostles' doctrine. How to be saved, biblical Christianity, salvation by grace, not by an individual's good work. Salvation must be received by faith. People must believe in their hearts that Jesus died for their sins, physically rose again, which is the assurance of forgiveness and resurrection of the body. This is God's loving plan for, 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 uh, to, to forgive sinful people. This is what the Jehovah's Witness says in regards to how to be saved. 
be baptized as Jehovah's Witness, must follow, must earn everlasting life on earth by door-to-door work. Salvation in heaven is limited to 144,000 anointed ones. The number is already reached. Don't that bless your heart? Here is what they feel in regards to salvation. The Mormons feel in regards to salvation. Resurrected by grace but saved. Exalted to Godhead by works including faithfulness to church leaders, Mormon baptism, tithing, ordination, marriage, and secret temple rituals. No eternal life without Mormon membership. And so Paul tells Timothy, whatever you do, guard the gospel. Mountain View, whatever you do, guard the gospel. So therefore, Timothy and Sammy and Mountain View, your first consideration is to guard the gospel against false doctrine. Remember, biblical doctrine is the teaching of the apostles' doctrine, the beginning beliefs of the church. It's not something written later. It's not found under a rock. But it's come through the ages. So how do you guard the gospel? Well, we guard the gospel by the way that we use God's word, in which case, in this case here, he's he's talking primarily about the law. They didn't have the Old Testament, New Testament they have today, but he's talking about the law, using God's word. So Paul shows us how not to use God's law, how not to use God's word. First of all, you don't add to it. You don't add to it. Look at verse 4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. So these false teachers, they were adding to God's word by myths and genealogies that were taken from these extra biblical writings that were not found in the Holy Scriptures. And they were adding these to as God's word and telling people these are things that you must do. It went as far, look at chapter 4, verse 3. It went as far, forbidden to marry and commanded to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received from thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. They were even telling the people, you can't marry and there are certain things you can't eat and cannot eat. And God had already addressed that, or Jesus had already really addressed that problem. They were putting rules and regulations on people of God that were not in the Holy Scriptures. So, friend, he's saying guard the gospel by the way we use it. There's a wrong way to use it. He shows the wrong way. First, don't add to it. He shows another wrong way. Then, you know, don't think that the law saves you. That's important. Because these false teachers were teaching obedience to the law could give you gain, it could give you fellowship, it could give you even salvation. If you do all of the stuff and obey the law, you'll be saved. See, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was a Pharisee, and he was a very educated person. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a very educated person, but something was missing in his life. He'd done all this stuff, and he'd memorized all the scripture, and he'd gone through all the rituals, but something was missing in his life. He never had experienced this new birth. And Jesus told him about it. So Paul says there's a wrong way. Don't add to it. There's a wrong way. Don't think the law can save you. 
So these false teachers were teaching that disobedience to the law could, could give you gain and favor with God and perhaps even salvation. But remember, remember this, that in all the belief system of the world, in all the religious belief system in the world, there are only two categories. You might want to remember this. The first is the belief of divine accomplishment. Divine accomplishment. That pretty well answers itself. That I, I believe my, my biblical belief in regards to salvation is divine accomplishment. In other words, God in Christ accomplished salvation apart from any human effort on anyone's part. That's divine accomplishment. Now that is the Christian gospel. However, there's some believe and another belief, spiritual belief, and that's human achievement. Human achievement. So you have divine accomplishment, and then you have human achievement. You fall in one, one or the other. Now, human achievement simply means where men attempt to gain salvation by their own efforts, through good deeds, through ceremonies, through rituals, through ordinances, such as baptism, the Lord's Supper, attending church, lighting candles for salvation. There's times we light a candle. There's no, you're not, there's no problem with that unless we're trying to do that in order to gain favor with God. But false teachers at Ephesus, like all false teachers, offer a way to God which requires human achievement. If you have to do something to be saved, you are following human achievement salvation. Because you don't have to do anything except trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Believe in him and thou shalt be saved. You have to come to a point where you realize that you're a sinner, and that's what the law does. We'll get to that in just a moment, real quick moment. But you have to, you have to come to that point, and after you come to that point, the Holy Spirit re reveals to you that you need to be saved, and Jesus Christ is the Savior, and he convicts you that you need a Savior, and you have a choice whether to humble your heart, trust him, or to reject him. But when you trust him, that's divine Divine accomplishment. You didn't have to do anything, but you grow in sanctification after that. I'll add that. The story is told of a woman and her child, and they were traveling uh, on a train across the prairies out, out in the mid, Midwest, and uh, way back when you just rode trains to get where you were going in distance. But the mother kept looking ahead, and, and she, she was afraid she was going to miss her stop, and, and uh, this... This traveling salesman next to her told her, said, listen, I've been this way. I go this way all the time, and, and I don't know where your stop is. Your stop is the next stop, and you just go ahead and rest, and then when the train stops, I'll, away, I'll wake you, and you can get off. And so she said, okay, and a couple of hours went by, and the train stopped, and he said, here's your stop. And so she said, you sure it's it? And he said, sure, I ride this train all the time. And, and so uh, the conductor prior came by and said, I'll come tell you when to get off, and and uh, she said, okay. So this man says, well, I'll tell you, you know. So he, he woke her up and says, time to get off. Well, she hops off the train in kind of like blizzard-like weather. And then the train went on. Several hours later, the conductor came by and says, where's the lady with the little girl? And he says, well, she got off at that first stop. And he said, what first stop? This is our first stop. This is where she gets off. He said, that other one was just a signal stop. 
for us to stop and wait for another train. You know, they began to back that train up, and they backed it up for several miles, and they got out, and they looked for that lady, and they found the lady, and they found her small child, and they were froze to death. She was frozen to death because she was a victim of false information. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people, good people, great people, religious people are going to die in this hell because they've been given false information on how they're to be saved. We're to focus on the gospel, guard the gospel, because that is, it tells who we are, it tells what we're to do, and it tells what we're to be really as a church. That is our most important responsibility. The first consideration, guard the gospel, use God's word. How not to use it, don't add to it, and don't think it'll save you. But let me finish with this. How, how, how to use God's word, God's law, to where it benefits us. Look in verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Here's what it says. It says this, And now the end of the commandment is charity, it's love, out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience of faith unfeigned. Paul says, listen, uh, this is, this is, when this is taught in the church, when the gospel is preached in the church, when the gospel is taught in the church, three things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to love each other. You're going to have a love, and that's taught in the church. When the gospel is taught in the church, it produces love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. When your heart's right and you're living a life of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. If you don't have love, you're out of the Spirit and you're operating in the flesh, my friend. Paul said, listen, one way, one way to use God's word is to teach the gospel because it will produce love and faith and a pure conscience. You can lay down at night and not worry about anything and worry about your past sins and all that stuff. But this is the correct way in using the gospel. Therefore, the law, the word of God, is good. Look at verse 8 real quick. Verse 8 says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Law served a purpose. It doesn't serve a purpose to save us, but it reveals our sin to us. It corrects us. It corrects us in regards to moral behavior. Look at verses 9 and 10. He mentioned the he mentioned about the righteous man, knowing this, the law is not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, profane, murderers and, and uh, fathers and murderers of mothers and, and manslayers and whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. See, the, the point is, is that that the law reveals our sin to us, and uh, it does that to correct our moral behavior. So there's there's no rules for us to follow that that I can that I can be saved, or I can share with anybody else where they can be saved. It's not that these are rules where you can earn your favor with God, whether you're a Muslim or, or Hindu or Jewish, Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, or Pentecostal, or, or whatever your denomination is, or if you're a non-denominational person, rules and laws are not going to save you. You have the law of God ingrained in your heart, according to Romans chapter 2, and you know the difference between good and evil, and God put it in you. You can't be perfect. You'll never be perfect. That's why Jesus came, 
So there's only one who obeyed the law perfect, and that was Jesus. He came and died on the cross, paid the price for our disobedience. And when you put your faith and trust in him, your sins are forgiven. You become a child of God, and you begin to live, you begin to live a sanctified life, a changed life. So don't buy into the ideal that human effort, human achievement can save you, friend, because if you do, you're going to miss heaven altogether. You really are. For over 2,000 years, man's had this tendency to kind of shift from the gospel. Paul tells Timothy, hey, better watch people that teach anything other than the gospel. If you skip the gospel, you're going to, have, you're going to be in a dire condition later on. I'm going to read this in closing. I found in one commentary, J. Vernon McGee had a great uh, comment on this. The law was not given to the righteous man. You see, that was, that was found there uh, in verse, uh, verse 9. The law is, is not made for the righteous man. That, that don't make sense, but listen to this. The law was not given to the righteous man, the one who's been made righteous because of his faith in Christ. That man's been called to a much higher plane before God. The law was given for the lawless. Thou shalt not kill. It's not given to the child of God who has no fault of murdering anyone. Who does not want to hurt but wants to help? That commandment was given to the man who is a murderer at heart. It's given to control the natural man. The law is for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for man-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. Those who have come to Christ were not saved by the law but by the grace of God. They've been brought into the family of God and been brought to a plane of living higher than that given in the law. He says, for an illustration, imagine a judge on a bench who, who has a lawbreaker brought before him and he's guilty and he should pay a heavy fine and go to prison. However, the judge says, I have a son who loves this prisoner. Although he's broken the law, I must condemn him. My son is a wealthy man, has agreed to pay his fine. He's also agreed to go to prison on, his, on behalf of this man. Therefore, his penalty has been fully paid. I'm going to take this criminal into my home, and I'm going to treat him as a son of mine. And when the judge takes the criminal into his home, he no longer says things like, Thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not steal. The man is now his son. The judge will take him about, talk to him about loving the other members of his family. He's to conduct himself at the table and treat his wife with respect and take part in family chores. You see, this man is treated on an altogether different basis from what he was before. That is what God has done for the believing sinner. We're above and beyond the law. The law is for that fellow out yonder who is a lawbreaker. It is, it is given to control the old nature of the flesh. So the law is not for those who have been saved by grace. Isn't that neat? Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time that we can just focus upon verses 8, uh, verses 3 through 11. First uh, Timothy 1, and Lord, help us to see as individuals and as a church to guard the gospel. I pray for every person here this morning, Lord. Some are sitting here, and they are dependent on everything, Lord, but divine accomplishment. Uh, they're dependent on human achievement, and they pray, oh, one day, Lord, I, I pray that I'll be found faithful in your sight, and you'll save me a place in heaven. Lord, if they've missed Jesus, they've missed heaven. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to hearts who are here who are trusting in some other gospel other than the gospel of the, the apostles. 
Lord, the early church. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be able as a church to distinguish from what uh, was taught by the apostles. Lord, this has been passed down through the ages, and this is the true gospel, Lord. So help us, we pray, to be aware of false teachers that should come into our midst, and Lord, that we might guard the gospel. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation time. And Lord, I pray you'll be honored and glorified in it all. In Jesus' name.